Hey, State of Ready listeners, this is Ed with Ready Northwest. Connected today for our episode two podcast on State of Ready is Lieutenant Bill Fogarty with the San Mateo Sheriff's Office in California. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a sunny, sunny day out here, especially after uh, wild and wet weekend weather. And I'm sure you guys had a lot of that as well, too, down there. We did, and actually, as you're telling me this, I'm watching rain pouring out of the sky, so I'm glad you're getting the good weather. So, yeah, <laughs> we are interesting that, uh, I mean, we've got showers that are moving in outside of my office there, so welcome to the spring weather season as well, too. But what I would like to introduce everyone to um, on our second State of Ready podcast that we're having here, uh, I wanted to bring on Lieutenant Bill Fogarty with San Mateo Sheriff's Office to kind of give everybody out there, uh, first off, we'll let you talk a little bit of your background, uh, Bill, and then afterwards, what we want to talk about is a lot of people are interested in emergency management now. A lot of people are starting to see that this is an actual career field with development and long-term growth and are wanting to jump in. So, Bill, why don't you go ahead and give us your background and tell us uh, what your experience is. Sure. So uh, I actually started my law enforcement career back in 1993, uh, last century, which sounds a little weird to say. Uh, but quite honestly, I think that emergency management has been one of those fields that's been constantly evolving. It came out of law and fire and really one or the other discipline, but no one really taking the reins to understand the overall viewpoint of what needs to take place during a critical incident. Uh, as we've been able to move forward with it, I've learned how important it is, and I've tried to do what I can do to be prepared for that. Uh, my background from coming law enforcement is I actually not only worked on a college campus, but then I worked for a city, and then I eventually went to work for the county of San Mateo for the sheriff's office. We're rather unique. The sheriff's office in the county where I work actually houses the Office of Emergency Services. And that really became my sort of indoctrination to emergency management once again. Uh, I'd responded to the fires in San Bruno when the uh, PG&E pipeline ended up going up. Uh, and I was one of the first responders there where I saw firsthand how sort of disjointed information was flowing, as well as the critical things that needed to take place not actually taking place because people weren't really organized. We didn't have a really good grasp on what needed to be done. Since that time and working at OES, I've come to a better understanding of emergency management and really as a field is developed, uh, try to do everything I can to help people get started help people have a better preparation for understanding what the job actually requires of them, and also sort of give people a broader understanding of what a OES director does and what he or she is looking for from their employees. Awesome. Thank you. Because it's interesting that you brought that up, that you had, your experience is very wide ranging, starting off as a, uh, it would, as a, in the fire um, and then college, city and county. So you've seen uh, all variety of responses, uh, work with a variety of different departments. And so uh, your background and position then thus allows you to kind of see the different skill sets that come with being an emergency manager and a first responder in each of those particular types of jurisdictions. Are they all the same or does each one have kind of its own uh, city, community, uh, culture, I guess is a big buzzword. Does each one completely different or do they kind of all mesh the same way? Well, what I think is really interesting is the fact that, you know, the federal government has the idea of NEMS and, and SIMS and how everything should flow, what everyone's job function is. And in general, that really helps out when you're trying to plan. But then what you usually see is during a critical incident, 
everyone takes on their own sort of unique personalities and skill sets and each community uh, is actually kind of different. Um, it obviously depends upon people's level of experience, level of knowledge, uh, their positive traits and attributes that they can throw at a problem and uh, figure out the best possible solution for what is uh, and what needs to be done. Oftentimes it can be something as simple as going and getting coffee for people so you can keep getting through the night. And sometimes it's uh, the in-depth important details like making sure you get porta potties set up when you need to get set up. Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people uh, really just uh, in emergency management have such a broad general knowledge that is so important on a daily basis that people who are set in their mindset of, well, I'm a police officer or I am a firefighter or I'm a press information officer, don't really have a better grasp of what the overall picture is, which is why I think emergency management is so important and why I try to do everything I can to help people be prepared for that role. Yeah, I agree as well, too. And, and coming from my background, uh, my primary background was healthcare emergency management, and then I'm off into the private sector assisting small businesses to do so. And it is very unique seeing how healthcare emergency management actually interacts with law enforcement and fire and EMS that are on the scene. We both follow the same type of guidelines and NIMS and incident command structure, but we very much have different um, ways of being able to have our own culture and, and what we're really focusing on, uh, especially with, um, you know, with healthcare emergency management, our number one priority is having the resources there to be able to take care of the patients. Um, and law enforcement might have a different one. They might assist the scene and with security, uh, fire and EMS's job is to stabilize it and get those people to the hospital. And so with each one of these different um, cultures, each one's going to have, even though we all operate on the same type of uh, command structure to make it simple for everybody, each one's environment is completely different. But yet we all have to figure out how to work on the same stage together, um, which I think hey, is really important. Hey, I 100% agree with you. You know, this really jumped out at me. Uh, we did a exercise for an active shooter slash violent intruder uh, at a community college. And it was drawn out by people who are in law enforcement. And we had set, a, set up a phony uh, improvised explosive device along with a tripwire. And our law enforcement personnel, some of them stepped right over the tripwire and did a great job. And then told the firefighters, you need to come here and start treating patients who are nearby. Uh, the firefighters greatly said, no, we're, we're not going to go down there. Thank you very much for the offer. But uh, you need to bring patients out to us because we're not going to end up putting ourselves in an environment <laughs> in which we can end up dying. Uh, fully understood that after we got through the training at the time we didn't understand why or how things are being done uh, and i think that's why it's so important to do training with other disciplines and really again this is where emergency management is so important having those different disciplines bring you some experience and that's where i would encourage anyone getting interested in the field of emergency management to get your experience and sort of get your hands wet whether or not it's working for american red cross or whether or not it's working for another agency where you can actually understand what a real incident looks like and how important it is to work through a problem. Good point there, because one of the things that I'd like to, whenever people are asking, hey, you know, how can I get involved in emergency management? Uh, I say the same thing, because as emergency managers, and go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong here, Bill, but the majority of our work and our response that we do for scenes and events and, and disasters doesn't happen on scene. It happens outside of the scene in an emergency operations center. So we get the real 30,000 foot view and we don't want to forget what's going on on the scene with our first responders who are telling us all that information. It's a completely different experience. Absolutely. I think that, 
you know, one of the things you just touched on is when you're in an emergency operations center and it's a relatively sterile environment, oftentimes we don't think about what it is that the first responder is going through. So we don't, we hear the radio traffic, we can hear the stress and the tension in people's voices, but we don't actually know what it's like to go through and experience the event. And that's another thing I'd encourage people to do is volunteer being role players in a critical incident and in a critical incident exercise so that you actually see firsthand what it is that's going through people's minds. The first time that you do an exercise and you hear a blank go off when someone's uh, shooting a shotgun with a blank inside of it, it startles people and it gets you to have a better understanding of what the first responders are going through. But being at an EOC and being able to have that 30,000 sort of what views that you know everything that's happening is so important because you can bring resources to bear to help those first responders that they not may not be able to think about during the critical incident. They may be so focused on just solving the problem, the one problem that's right in front of them, they don't know about the bigger issue that's going around them, as is the case in fires or uh, power outages or earthquakes or any other critical event you can think of. Yeah, and I think that's a huge thing you're, you're pointing on that what they see on the scene there is what's going on and it's going to take the focus of their attention. They don't might not necessarily see the three other fires or the three other pain points that emergency management's having to deal with. Uh, and they, it goes on like a macro to a micro level as, as a first responder and the dispatch side, I know that uh, my units on the ground would tell me things and, and constantly ask me uh, on the radio, not knowing that I'm also having to put out two or three other calls that they're discussing or that are happening outside of, what they're doing. And so when you have that whole complete picture and that whole complete experience and really understand what goes on in an environment uh, such as emergency management and working with first responders and other, it's not just first responders EM works with, we also do with, uh, you know, public health and Red Cross and shelter and public works, just getting that overview of understanding that this is your common operating picture. These are what the priorities for everybody is. It really gives you a good sense of being able to put all the pieces together and really make them work and highly recommend um, getting your feet wet, like he, like Bill said, getting your feet wet out into the environment by volunteering or, or taking some opportunities that might be presented to you. And so where would somebody, if they're trying to get into emergency management there, Bill, what are some of the ways um, that they can do so? Well, I think a really good start is obviously to get a formal education. I'm a true believer that by getting some education, and by that I mean going through the ICS classes, uh, getting through the programs that FEMA has developed for us to have a better understanding of what the job rules are before you get to an incident. I think that's the first step. I think the second step is actually volunteering for organizations. Uh, one of the two organizations I keep thinking of off the top of my head are American Red Cross and Team Rubicon, which is made up of a lot of vets. Uh, who put themselves in places where the help is needed. And a lot of times when you go volunteer, you start seeing things firsthand. And when you see things firsthand, it leaves you with a great impression about what you can learn from those experiences and how to apply that to you down the line. Uh, a perfect example that I keep thinking about is when I went to San Bruno and the fires, there are things that I learned from when the pipeline exploded that I was able to then directly apply when I went to Napa and Sonoma for the firestorm that happened this past year. And I think it's important to get your feet wet, get that experience. Yes, you will be volunteering your time and yes, you're not getting paid for it. But that to me is what I'm looking for as an OES director. So that, that way I can say, this is why we hired this person. They have a formal education and they have practical experience that directly transfers to the job that they're applying for. Excellent point there. So 
in addition to that formal education, that volunteering, do you recommend any other type of, like, say somebody wants to get into emergency management and they do the volunteering, but their background isn't in law enforcement, fire, or, or emergency management. What other skill sets do you think can be translated over to emergency management that are just as uh, important as understanding what ICS is and conducting a thyra and doing exercises? Well, I think one of the great things that you just brought up is emergency management becomes almost a catch basin for every single career you can think of. Um, I will tell you that GIS is being developed more and more on a daily basis. I really think that that's really going to be sort of the future of emergency management. Being able to have some sort of information or knowledge base of GIS is going to be important. The other thing I know that we overlook all the time, but so important that you can get reimbursed is people who do accounting and fiscal services. I can't emphasize enough the amount of paperwork that goes into being able to get cost recovery from FEMA. And we're going through that right now in our county after we responded to Napa and Sonoma fires late last year, where we're getting all the documentation, all the paperwork in, and we're trying to get people to understand what is so important to fill out. And really, this goes back to another skill set, which is actually just understanding computer systems and having a basic understanding of what is available to you in Word and Excel and Microsoft Office. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to really have a general background that you can then apply to specific fields when you get called into those roles. And during a critical incident, truly, an EOC, any help is great help. So volunteering time, have a knowledge and, have a knowledge and a background to be able to come down and assist in any capacity is great. Uh, a prison information officer, having a background in understanding social media and having an understanding mm -hmm. of how to work with your local press is extremely important. I'm a big proponent of social media. I think that that's another field that really is sort of becoming where it needs to be in emergency management. And as we're starting to see more and more as Facebook has marketing itself ready, uh, as Google is getting into disaster maps, I can't emphasize enough how important it would be also to make sure that you have an understanding of how those systems work and getting a better understanding of how to go ahead and engage them and engage the people in your local communities, businesses, uh, every single thing you can think of to be able to let them know what's happening. I oftentimes think about in the absence of knowledge, chaos ensues. If you don't mm -hmm. provide people with information, they will make things up themselves. And that's the worst thing we can ever have happen in a critical incident is having people make up their own information. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit it on the point there that in addition to we've had NIMS, we've had ICS for over 30 years now, we're starting to see the proliferation of technology now being inducted into the emergency management field, uh, especially with the use of social media. And we saw that with the hurricanes, we saw that with the wildfires in California as well, too, that organizations are going to start to pop up proactively uh, and we'll start self-deploying. We saw that with the Cajun Navy down in, in Texas and how they utilize and leverage social media and technology to be able to get rescuers in there. And as an emergency manager, that can be a, um, a huge uh, burden on you to have these uh, unassigned volunteers and spontaneous vol volunteers show up. Or if you are proactive and you take a hold of that and identify those organizations beforehand so that you can work together because technology, now that we're seeing it, like you said, with Google, with Facebook, with social media, that stuff's not going to stop. And social or an emergency management has to be able to adopt with that, if not be out ahead of it. And so anybody getting into the industry at this point right now in emergency management needs to at least have an awareness, if not an understanding and an operational understanding of how these uh, pieces of technology are going to work within your organization and within your community. Where is your community at? I, I, 
put a recent blog post on my LinkedIn about understanding and knowing where your community is. And that will also translate to the social media aspect of it too. Do they hang out on Facebook? Do they hang out on Nextdoor? Where are the places where you can reach the people and become that trusted advice during a disaster that they can go to? And I think, you know, one of the great things that you can do if you're really interested in getting into the field that's close by your residence or your house is to go ahead and get actively involved in Rotary or Lions or Seraphim's Club and really get to know who those people are, who will be the ones volunteering their time in case of a critical incident. Someone said to me a long time ago, the most important thing is shaking hands of before a disaster so you're not pointing fingers after. And that really resonated with me because I kept thinking about how important relationships are and being able to singly call one person and say, I need help and here's what I need. And I think that that's really where, again, if you're looking to get an emergency management, get on LinkedIn and make connections with people that you can reach out to at any point to say, I have a question, I need some help. And that's one of the reasons I'm on LinkedIn. It's one of the reasons why I'm more than happy to link in with almost anybody is I want to build my networks that way. When I have a question or I have a problem, I can go ahead and reach out. And that's actually how obviously you and I met as well is by mm-hmm. us connecting with each other and getting a chance to know each other through LinkedIn, see each other's works and know that we can reach out to each other at a moment's notice and call each other and say, hey, I have a problem. And how can I go ahead and fix this problem? And that's an excellent point there, because when you consider, like you said earlier in the prog- in the podcast bar- here, that emergency management is kind of a catch-all. So there are certain people in emergency management, especially if you're working with larger districts or larger agencies, that um, are specific in either exercise and training or in preparedness efforts or in mitigation uh, or in recovery or outreach. And so there's a lot of places where you can go to within an emergency management organization and really understand a particular niche within. And whereas I'm in private emergency management or small business emergency management, you know, the private sector doesn't have the understanding or the resources that the federal government has or government agencies have in understanding what emergency management is. Yet we will all be affected when a disaster strikes. And so
Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to part two of State of Ready, uh, episode two with Bill. You know, we're using a brand new program called Anchor. And while I really like Anchor, this is one of the very first time. This is the very first time we're using it for a podcast here. So uh, bear with us as we <laughs> try to get through this. You, you still there, Bear? Bill? I, absolutely. And you know what? This is for uh, the technology challenge individuals like myself. We every once in a while get a new program that we have to learn ourselves. Yep, exactly. And the interesting thing is it's learning it on the fly, which is not something you want to do if you're faced with a disaster and you have a new piece of technology. Learning it on the fly isn't the best thing to do. So exactly. take that lesson, everybody <laughs> out there. Education is so important. Exactly. Yep. Preparedness fail for me, guys. I apologize. But we were talking, I believe we were talking about uh, places within emergency management since it is kind of a catch-all. Uh, and you say, hey, I work for emergency management, uh, people go, oh, that's really cool. But within that purview and within that sphere, 
there is a lot of different positions that you can go into, whether it's uh, preparedness efforts, public health, exercise development, training. Um, you, as you brought out, um, cost recovery and grant coordination, that's a huge thing for emergency managers. If you're deciding to get into it, not a lot of people that I see and that I know actually aim for the grant management or the accounting aspect uh, because it doesn't seem so flashy, but it, like you brought out, Bill, it is one of the most important facets out there because emergency management, a disaster happens, damages are done, agencies have to be reimbursed, and it's so important now of us to be able to get all of that, all the ducks lined up, T's crossed, I's are dotted in order to get your agency funding. Absolutely. And yeah, I think one of the things that people fail to even think about is the fact that you could get reimbursed for almost anything. Uh, one of our local agencies was smart enough to keep changing out the air filters in every single one of the vehicles that respond to the fires in Napa and Sonoma. And they kept track of every single one of the air filters that they had used. They went ahead and itemized every single one of the numbers. So that way, when they submitted their paperwork to get reimbursed, they had all the, all the important essential information that was needed. And while it doesn't seem like a big deal on air filters, when you start multiplying that over multiple days of assignment, and for our response, it was over a week and a half up there, uh, you're talking about constantly vehicles running nonstop, and that's an expense you can get reimbursed for. When you start looking at private businesses, all the money that you're expending on salaries that you would not normally be paying for, the items that you would need like food, water, uh, even shovels, something like that is something you can get money reimbursed for if you keep accurate record keeping. If you fail to keep the accurate record keeping, well, then guess what? You're probably not going to get the money that you need. Yeah, exactly. And especially with uh, budgets running tight, both within private organizations and within public agencies, with those, uh, with those budgets running really, really tight, it's very difficult to find and reimburse that money if you lost it. So it's that in addition to taking care of your people as well, too, because you got to accurately report those time cards, who's on, who's off, who's on overtime. And then if you have any injuries on the job, uh, having good record keeping in addition to that will allow post-disaster during the recovery phase to be able to um, effectively get all of that reimbursed and have those processes go through. Uh, disaster or, uh, billing and insurance and all of that does not take a break just because a fire runs through an organization or a town or an area. And that's why it's so important to make sure you have backup documentation as well. Uh, I know that people lost everything in the fires and if you're able to store it on a cloud and be able to access it at a moment's notice, whether or not it's Google documents or some other location remotely, it will only helps your business and actually any public agency. Uh, being able to access that information and be able to see it as you need it not trying to recover it after a fire has happened or a flood has happened or power surge has happened is where I really think there's a lot of value. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're talking about this here, Bill, um, we talked about in our previous um, part about the volunteering, the on-the-job training, the education, but as an OES director, what are some of the challenges that you face when you're hiring, training, and developing a team? Well, I think that first and foremost, you need to look at obviously the education, the volunteering, and also how that person fits with your team and with the other people that you're working with in an organization. Uh, I really relate this back to when you start looking at applying for a job in law enforcement. Every law enforcement organization or culture is different, and you may not fit there. Uh, you may not like the way they do things. And that's really why it's important for you to sort of do an internship or a hands-on visit and really see what people are like. 
when you go to work in emergency management, if you work with the people you like, it makes things that much easier to be able to handle the stress and the chaos ends up ensuing. The other thing is really what I was looking for for an employee was someone who is flexible and not rigid in their thinking. It's very often, if you're a trained in a specific discipline of fire, law, health, um, whatever, you really always see things in that sort of light and that viewpoint. And instead, what you need during a critical event and as emergency managers, be flexible in the way you approach problems. Uh, one solution does not fit all. Usually what you need to do is get a team together. And that's why, again, I try and look at people who have diverse viewpoints who are not all the same. So that way they bring everything to the table. And that way we can make it the best well-informed decision. And again, this is why it's so important to get someone from the tech side who has a background in GIS and social media to add two pieces of the puzzle. Have someone who understands the financial part of it to understand how important your decision may be long-term as well as short-term. And then also obviously having someone in a law, fire, and health background to understand what risks are being faced. And some things you may not think about uh, during the fires, we had to think about weather and wind conditions to see where the fire may be picking up, which way it may be heading next. And also reaching out to people in private businesses to be able to help support us when we're continuing operations for sustainability. Yeah, and I think you nailed it right on the top there. Um, getting that diverse viewpoint uh, and understanding just because, and I think you really got it when you said about being flexible and not rigid in your thinking, because it's true. If you're in an area for so long, if you're in a, um, a particular sector of emergency management, or if you're coming from a different sector and, and understanding, especially if you've been there for a long time, that there's a certain way that things are done. But when you transition those skills over to emergency management and you realize that we're not dealing with the status quo anymore, we have an evolving incident that's constantly changing don't let what you know and all of your knowledge and all of your backup be a crutch. Let it be something that um, adds value to the team. Your understanding of power and utilities and how that operates or your understanding of your community and your small business associations and uh, or healthcare. when you bring that to emergency management and you're inside that emergency operations center and someone brings up an idea and you go, that's great. Have you considered this? Uh, I was at a conference, Oregon prepared conference at the beginning of April, and the director of Oregon Emergency Management was there giving a presentation, and he says, let's change the culture from saying no but to yes if, and what that really does is it shifts, because when you say no, you automatically close the door, and there's no other options, but if you say yes if, then all of a sudden you've said yes, and then we could take a look. Maybe it might not work the way you think it would, but it can work maybe 50% of the time, 20% of the time, or we can find a solution uh, instead of saying no. Because uh, once you say no, that really shuts the door to it. And especially when you're bringing in such a diverse group of people in emergency management, if you bring in public works, you bring in public health, you bring in the utilities, you bring in law enforcement, everybody's got their own viewpoint and the way things are done in their culture, that once you put them all together, a solution can be made that may not have been seen if it was only one or two people making it. And, and the other thing I'd say is constantly do on-the-job training. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a private sector advisory council who would be providing me with information, give me opportunities to meet with local uh, public sector, I'm sorry, private sector businesses who would give me a different viewpoint. Uh, I made a mission of mine to go down to Disneyland and see their emergency operations center and interact with the people down there to have a better understanding of even crowd control and how they handle and deal with major critical incidents that normally I might not be thinking about. Making a point of going to public 
stadiums, uh, state capitals, and reaching out to people who are working there to figure out how they are doing things and really participate in sort of on-the-job training. You may not get any educational credit for you. It may cost you some money, but I can't tell you how much that will end up assisting you in being flexible and sort of broadening your horizons and be able to see a problem and look at it from different viewpoints rather than the same time, every way you're doing the same thing. And really what we're looking for here is it's constant evolution and constant learning. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, right there with you on that constant evolution, constant thing, I have this, uh, I've called it EM 2.0 is where we're at right now. We used to do things very ICS by the book, but now emergency managers are getting uh, a lot more in regards to technology and responsibilities and foresight and strategy of how much further they have to think out and by constantly uh, understanding and meeting new people and getting yourself educated who would have thought emergency management has to deal with crowd control but when you're dealing with tens of thousands of people on a daily basis in an amusement park you're inside your own little jurisdiction and community you have your own security force your own facilities i mean you have your own little jurisdiction so constantly understanding and and progressing as new things come out and new thoughts come out uh, take a look and see how they're going to work uh, you know like bill said going out to do crowd control and learning from disney how they do their business continuity and emergency management plans is also another opportunity you could take a look at in the private sector is these large organizations that have emergency managers not necessarily in the pi uh, public sector but like disney has its own emergency management and response and business continuity department up here where i'm at in portland intel nike columbia all of these big name brands have them. And, and as you just said that, I just watched a Cisco emergency communications vehicle drive by me on the freeway. There you go. See, I, I, I put out a blog post recently about how Tesla is looking for an emergency preparedness uh, manager and coordinator. So private industry is going to, is starting now to understand the importance of preparing their organization and their employees for eventualities of a crisis or a disaster. So that's the next step that I see is now we're going to start to see more and more public or private organizations start to develop their own emergency management plans. And if you're in the public sector, now's the time to start making those network connections. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the private sector offers us opportunities to a become more educated, uh, understand what resources are available to them and really start looking at partnerships with different businesses. So as an example, with uh, Gentech and with Gilead in our local area, there are medical pharmaceutical companies that are available that may be able to help public entities during a critical incident. And obviously we can then help them as well. They may be need power, they need water. We may be able to supply that form. And I can't emphasize enough, again, it's sort of the idea of shaking hands before disaster, so not pointing fingers after. Getting to know the relationships and making those commitments to other people will help you expand not only your network, but also solutions to your problems that you may end up having. And I think that's a great thing to put on a business card, making relation or shaking hands now. So I'm not pointing fingers later. I think if, if you get anything out of this podcast series, what Bill said right there, shaking hands before disaster, so you're not pointing fingers afterwards should be the mantra that every emergency manager puts on their desk above their whiteboard or something that they see uh, every single day, because that's what your whole basis of why you're an emergency manager is to make those relationships so that when the worst things that, possibly happen happen that you're there to work with your community to respond and to recover from it so i want to thank everybody for listening in here i want to thank you bill for joining us on state of ready 
we hope that when you walk out or when you're finished listening to us here on the podcast, that it kind of gives you what uh, emergency managers are looking for when it comes to getting a job in emergency management and all the different types of opportunities that exist there. Uh, I could tell you from when I joined or got into emergency management eight years ago, I started as a dispatcher for a local ambulance company and, and learned and worked my way up into healthcare emergency management, that the field has all of a sudden blossomed and it is starting to get much more prolific and uh, mainstream. So if you're listening to this podcast here, you are on the right track. Continue learning. Follow. You can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Edward Colson. You can also follow me at readynw.com, or you can also follow me on Twitter at ready underscore Northwest. And how can they get in touch with you, Bill? I'm glad you said that. So first of all, you can follow me on Twitter at 21Kletz. That's 2-1-C-L-E-T-S. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, where again, it's William Fogarty, F-O-G-A-R-T-Y. I work currently for the Samuel County Sheriff's Office, and I am more than happy to take any calls, any emails, anything that people have. Feel free to get in contact with me. I, I'm here to help, and I truly believe in building those relationships. And that means I'm more than happy to take five minutes out of my day to look over anything you send me to try and help you to achieve your destination, your goal, and really to help out emergency management in general. Because again, it's so important to go ahead and help each other out and work with each other to make everything better for everyone you serve. Excellent. Well, I appreciate the time to the state of ready folks out there. We will see you again next time.